Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Sapient Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Ian Hart, and I'm the editor of SHP. On this episode of the show, we're going to look at economics and how the economy impacts health and safety. The coronavirus pandemic and its subsequent lockdowns has led to the worst global economic crisis since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Within months of the first lockdown in March 2020, 23% of the British workforce had been furloughed, and on the 12th of August that year, it was announced that the UK had entered into recession for the first time in 11 years. As people start to return to offices and high streets, and as travel restrictions are lifted, leading to more regular international trade and tourism, we're going to look ahead at the effect of periods of economic growth has on workplace injuries. I was joined by Tanya Yanka, the Global Manager of Cority Australia, who has recently carried out a study analysing over half a million occupational injuries in Western Australia between 2003 and 2019, to find out whether economic growth following a period of recession has an impact on workplace injuries. The study, an investigation of the influence of economic cycles on safety performance in Western Australia, was carried out as part of Tanya's PhD. Let's join the discussion with Tanya explaining a little bit about the study itself. This is one part of my PhD, which I'm studying in the School of Health and Medical Sciences at Edith Cowan University in Western Australia. And my PhD research is looking at the impact of external factors on safety performance. Taking a look at the literature, I was able to see that there's been quite a lot of studies done on the impact of internal factors such as corrective actions, accident investigations, leading and lagging indicators, but there wasn't a lot done on external factors. So I was able to obtain access to a work cover data. Work covers the governmental organization that captures compensable occupational injuries. And they had 20 years of data that had not been assessed in this manner before. So that came to over half a million data points across 20 years. So looking at that very large data set, while I was interested in how occupational injuries changed, what I was really mostly interested in how they changed over time and what was causing them to change over time. And so that's when I started to look externally and focus on economic cycles. Is this a cross-section cross of, of different sectors or is it, is it restricted to specific sectors? So the data was across all industries within Western Australia. I chose to focus in on mining, construction, agriculture and manufacturing. And I focused on those four specific groups because agriculture has the lowest proportion of individuals employed into this industry in Western Australia, but they have the highest level of fatalities. Mining and construction are globally two very hazardous industries, and particularly in Western Australia, a very high proportion of workers work in mining and construction. And manufacturing was really one field which was mid-proportion of the population that was working in that industry and a mid-level looked initially of occupational injuries. 
And then also because I was looking at economic cycles, I looked at both macroeconomic indicators, so things such as GDP and unemployment, and also microeconomic indicators, because I was interested in the sensitivity to those four industries, to occupational injuries, I wanted to look at as those specific industries increase the number of employees or generated or dollars into those industries, how safety performance changed. So I looked at microeconomic factors as well. I mean, I'm assuming we're kind of leading up to the fact that you found out that after a period of economic lull, you found that the injuries actually go up as, as the as the economy starts to grow again. Yeah, I did. So I wasn't really exactly sure what to expect. Looking at the literature, there was a few studies done on the impact of economic cycles on occupational injuries within the US, as well as in the UK and various different countries in the EU. However, the industry composition was different within Western Australia. Like I said, we have a very high proportion of employees working in mining construction, specifically when you contrast that to the EU or the UK or the US. So I wasn't sure if it was going to follow a similar structure that those countries had, which is pro-cyclical, whereby as the economy grows, the number of occupational injuries increase, and during a recession, um, the number of occupational injuries decrease. And what I found was that within Western Australia, it did in fact follow that same behavioral pattern. Would you put that down to just more people being employed and therefore there's a higher chance of people getting injured or is it proportionally, does it go up so much that it's it sort of out, out of proportion with the increase in recruitment? The interesting thing was because I looked at specific industries and I looked at microeconomic factors, I was able to take the assessment a little bit deeper and see what happens to those individual industries during economic growth. And the interesting thing that I found was that manufacturing, the number of occupational injuries tended to increase quite a lot within the manufacturing industry during periods of economic growth within Western Australia. Whereas mining and construction, the number of injuries actually decreased. So I'm suggesting that the reason why the increase in manufacturing is because specifically within Western Australia, we have a lot of very small to medium-sized manufacturing companies compared to mining or construction companies, which are very large, they're very global, and they tend to have very rigorous safety standards associated with them. So it was interesting that manufacturing showed much more of a sensitivity to changes in um, economic cycles. And we're obviously looking at, as you've highlighted, sort of four fairly hazardous industries. So I'm, I'm guessing what you're suggesting there is it, it's 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 obviously really important when you're taking new people into these sectors that you, that you onboard them correctly. And we're, and we're seeing a little bit of that now in terms of the reintroduction of staff into businesses and how important it is you get back to basics. And, and actually, you know, if you've been off work for 18 months furloughed and you're now going back to that hazardous industry, you're almost in a position where 
you can be kind of lulled into a false sense of security that, oh, you know, I've done this for 20 years, but actually you've been off work for 18 months. So you need to be kind of onboarded again, almost from scratch properly. So I'm guessing we're saying that if these small and medium enterprise businesses in, in manufacturing that don't necessarily have the capabilities to correctly onboard or, or the safety standards to onboard staff properly, there's an influx in staff going into those businesses they're at a higher risk of injury because they're not properly trained, taking a lot of people at a short space of time, and they're going into a hazardous sector. That's right. And they're trying to ramp up quite quickly. If you don't think about COVID, the virus, but you think about COVID as the catalyst for recession, you know, kind of like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation is Western Australia, our economy grew quite a lot during the COVID period because mine sites were open, construction was booming. We have very little manufacturing within here that would have been impacted by supply chain and, you know, shipping that was happening globally. So people are actually ramping up very quickly. And what that means is a lot of times they'll put in a lot of contractors into that industry to also keep up with the pace. So combined with the lack of onboarding, into a hazardous industry, you also get people that are not trained at all in what they're doing. They could be young, inexperienced workers who are not knowledgeable about the risks and the hazards that they face. We're seeing people are being made redundant or losing their jobs and having to look for different professions in other sectors. And so, again, they're coming from from a sector, you know, they might have come from office work and they're going into manufacturing and they're not necessarily have the training and the background. Are you see, Have you seen that sort of trend as well? Yeah, absolutely. So people not being trained into the area. And then the other part that's a bit more difficult to quantify, but is certainly something that you have to keep in mind when looking at the statistical data is the decrease in occupational injuries that the data shows during recession periods can be attributed to underreporting. There are some studies that have been done in the U.S. that have shown that employees are 20% more likely to be laid off during periods of recession if they report an occupational injury. A lot of workers, if they are in fact injured during work, will not report it for fear of being laid off. So it puts the onus on the business to really provide a safe environment for workers to also report occupational injuries. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about a culture and about encouraging people to report near misses and, and injuries. Mm-hmm. If someone suffers an injury at work and we're going through an economic crisis, then the company can't afford to replace that person and pay the person that's injured at the same time. So is there actually evidence to suggest that that is true, that they are likely to get laid off if they're injured or they report an incident? Yeah, there was a study done in the US that showed that back in early 2000, which was quite surprising. It's very eye-opening for what that means for employers. And, you know, and there's cases of employers trying to convince employees as well not to report a case. And when so many of their colleagues are being laid off during a recession period, there's obviously that stress of, do I want to risk being laid off where I can't support my family? Yeah, it creates that complete opposite kind of culture mm-hmm. to the one that you're aiming for because it creates that element of fear and that puts more stress and strain on people when they're going about work going, oh, I can't get injured and if I do, I can't report it rather than kind of being relaxed and concentrating on the job they're doing. There's that element of fear, and which is really interesting. 
What are your kind of conclusions and suggestions for how companies deal with this? And I guess looking forward to the next 12, 18 months and beyond as the economy starts to grow again, what should companies be doing to guard against this risk? It's certainly something that we're seeing in Australia wide right now. There's a such an increased boom that's going on right now in the economy. Employers need to make sure that they're prioritizing safety. So even though there's a high demand in the resource sector, mining, construction, and manufacturing, adequate training of employees is absolutely required. And making sure that their safety systems are resilient enough to withstand changes in the external environment, such as things like recession period, so that when they do come into leaner times, they're not making lots of occupational health and safety professionals redundant. So therefore, there's riskier behavior and there's less monitoring of occupational injuries that can happen. Once they start doing that, it's creating the correct culture and it is encouraging people to report incidents, to report near misses and and, and that it's all going to kind of come, come hand in hand to improving safety inside the business. Absolutely. I mean, the whole concept of celebrating the failures that are happening and how the safety industry learns and can grow. So disseminating that knowledge about injuries as they happen is so important. And I think it's really important for companies to build up a culture where it's safe and celebrated for people to report near misses and potential injuries. And how long from the research have you found that this kind of period of economic growth do you think will last? Obviously, it's going to, it all kind of depends on the on the size of the recession, I guess. What kind of length of time are we looking at, do you think, for this period of growth? It's going to depend on the country and, and the economy. You know, for resource-based ones, specifically for Australia, iron and Western Australia here, we are China's, like we export all of our iron ore to China. So as long as their economy is continuing to grow and for them to build up that infrastructure, the boom will continue. Just to kind of clarify, so you're, you're suggesting that it's only in, in manufacturing where there's been this increase in, in injury rates uh, and, and it's not so much in, in the other three sectors that you looked at? So that's what I found with the data that I had for Western Australia is that manufacturing was more sensitive to changes in economic cycles. Agriculture didn't show any statistical significance, so it didn't seem to be impacted at all by economic cycles, the data was just not statistically significant. It didn't show anything. Construction was minorly impacted and mining was not. So I guess the agriculture you could put down to the fact that there's always going to be a, a need for that type of for, for food and for, for crops and so it, the economic crisis it just doesn't really impact that sector in the way that it maybe would in, in terms of, of maybe manufacturing and construction. Uh, if, there's a, if there's an economic recession, then you're less likely to be starting new construction projects, for instance, I would guess. It's possible. I didn't delve in too deep into the makeup of the agricultural industries but within western australia there's a lot of small farms that are kind of classed under self-employed and then there's quite a few very large agricultural companies so i'm Mm. not sure if that kind of balanced each Mm. other out but there wasn't anything statistically significant in the agricultural industry Some fascinating insight and analysis from Tanya, really providing an outlook at what the coming months and years have in store 
and plenty to take away and think about, especially if you're welcoming staff back after long periods away from work or taking on large numbers of new workers as things begin to get back to normal. As Tanya highlighted, although the study was limited to Western Australia, there are many comparisons that can be made with other global regions, particularly the UK and the US. If you want to read more from this interview, look at statistical analysis or access links to additional resources, you can find a full write-up on SHP now, and I'll drop the link to that in the episode description. I'd like to thank Tanya Jenka for her time and talking to me for this episode, and to you for tuning in. If you are new to the Safety and Health podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we talked about the legislative and systematic changes required in fire safety and the wider building sector to ensure buildings are made safer for occupants. And you can find the link to the podcast hub where all the episodes are hosted in the description. If you like what you hear, you can follow the Apple podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we're also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety and Health podcast. We'd be really grateful if you could rate us or comment on your chosen platform as that will help us to get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned to shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news where you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thank you very much for listening and see you on the next episode.